Um, if you have your Bibles, won't you go with me over to Hebrews chapter 11 and First uh, Samuel, First uh, Samuel chapter uh, number 14. As you're heading over there, let me show you some pictures of my family really quick. Uh, I know some of you are familiar. I'm familiar with some of you. We're friends and. Uh, but some of you maybe haven't met yet. This is my wife, Jennifer, right here. How many of you know uh, she is proof that there is a God uh, and, that, and the fact that she's married to me is proof that God still does miracles? Can somebody say amen? <clears throat> but we've been, we've been married now for 12 years. Uh, these are two results of passion right here. Uh, this is the oldest there is Liam. Liam is seven years old. He just started tackle football over in Daly City. And uh, so he's, he's learning how to play a little, little football. And uh, he loves Jesus with all of his heart. Prayed for us this morning, our time together. And then that little one like right there, you can tell he's the one with all the personality. He's just crazy, huh? He's just wild. He just turned five. His name's Nixon. My mom tells me that uh, he's God's gift to, to, to my life to, to help me reap all those years that I sowed as a young man. <laughs> and so, uh, but man, I'm such a rich man. I'm blessed to have the family that I have. And uh, just the fact that that my family, uh, whenever I, I, I said, hey, I feel like God's called us to, to plant a church in San Francisco, um, to, to have a wife and children that say, Dad, we're with you. Let's do this together. Uh, and then being on the journey with us, it's amazing to have a family like that. And I truly consider myself rich and blessed because of it. How many of you feel like you're rich because of the family that God's blessed you with? If you're sitting by your family, this is a good spot to raise your hand. If you don't feel rich, just... Go in faith with me. Just, just let's lift up your hand. But all right. Hebrews chapter number 11. If you have that, could you put that up on the screen? Do you have a Hebrews 11? Here's what it says with me. Let's read this together on the count of three. One, two, three. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. I love that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you know that without faith, it's impossible to receive salvation? Without faith, it's impossible uh, to engage in the, the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible says we prophesy according to our faith. It's impossible to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit without faith. Uh, really, it's impossible to do pretty much anything in this life of faith without faith because it's built on a foundation of faith. Faith is very important to God. Matter of fact, when God came down in the flesh in the form of Jesus, his son, Jesus went around and all throughout uh, the area there that he was ministering, and he would actually quantify faith. That is, when he would see someone with faith, he would say things like, man, oh ye of little faith. Like, you, you just have a little bit of faith. Or he would see some people with, with big faith, and he'd say, I have never seen faith like this in all of Israel. And so, so Jesus would go around looking for faith, and he would quantify faith. Faith is very important to God. Now, here's what you need to know. Uh, we have a lot of services today, and in all the services today, there'll be some people in the audience that will have what the Bible calls the gift of faith. That is that you just, man, you just believe God for big things. Oh, we got the faith section over there. Faith people, loud people. You know what I'm talking about? They just believe God for big things. But, but for the rest of us, uh, we, the Bible calls us people with a measure of faith. That is that we got, we got a little bit of faith. And, uh, and it's okay because, because the Bible says that we can all grow in our faith. We can all develop our faith. So how do we do that? How do we develop our faith? How do we grow our faith? Really, there's three ways. Uh, one of them is this, is, is leaning into the word of God. That's why we gather on the weekends when someone preaches God's word. Here's what the Bible says, that faith come by hearing the word of God. So we can listen to Pastor Sean or Pastor Diana preach the word of God and it will actually increase our faith. It will edify and build up our faith. It's imperative that you come to church and you, you're not just kind of just checking off a, a religious box, but you come in saying, I want my faith to grow. I want my faith to increase. Because when faith is in an atmosphere, God can do miracles. 
And a church that sees miracles is a church that has faith for miracles. And so, so faith comes by hearing the word of God. Second one is this. Faith comes by uh, hearing stories of other people's faith. You can be inspired by other people's faith. You can listen to something that someone has stepped on and done in faith, and it will actually it'll, it'll build up your faith. It will encourage you. Uh, and the third one is this, is, is simply by applying your faith. You want your faith to grow. Probably the best way for your faith to grow is for you to actually just exercise your faith. Like a muscle, it takes exercising. It takes stepping out. You should write this down. This is, wasn't even in my notes. Faith is like a can of paint. Its value is in its application. The more you apply it, the greater the value of it, and the more it will increase. I want to take a few moments today to kind of do all three of those things. I want to unpack a story. We'll do a case study in 1 Samuel 14 about a, an incredible, this incredible group of, of guys, these young men, these two young men, who exercise their faith, and I think it's going to encourage you, and it's also the Word of God, so it's going to build your faith, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's going to be great. The only thing that's going to be missing is, is an application, so I can't do that for you. You'll have to leave and apply this Word. Faith without works is dead. So you have to apply it. Here, here it is, 1 Samuel 14. We're going to get right into this. It says, one day Jonathan, this is a prince to the, uh, to the king, King Saul, his dad, says, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron, and with him were about 600 men. Now this next verse uh, I can't pronounce half these words here, but we're just going to roll with it. Among whom was Ahiah, who was wearing an ephod. He was son of Ichabod's brother, Ahatub. <laughs> son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. says, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. And on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost, uh, was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sene. It says, one cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Now, these next two verses is where we're going to lock in. It says, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer. The armor bearer is nameless in the text. We don't know who he is. We don't know if he has some great pedigree or, or, or you know, it comes from some amazing line of armor bearers. We just know that he's He's a faithful friend of Jonathan, and he has no name, but it says, Jonathan looks at him and he says, hey, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men, speaking of the Philistines, their enemies. And this is what he said, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. If you have your Bible, you should underline perhaps the Lord. That, that's an important little phrase there. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. And listen to what he says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said, go ahead, for I am with you, heart and soul, heart and soul. We're going to talk about faith for a little bit today, but the subject of, uh, of, of or the title of my message today, I've branded simply, perhaps the Lord. Come on, touch two people and say, perhaps the Lord. Come on, look at the person you didn't want to talk to and tell them, say, maybe the Lord. Come on, why don't you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your word today, and God, I pray that even at this early service this morning, uh, that you would speak to us. Uh, we, we didn't come to hear a good talk. We didn't hear to come here to hear a good preacher. We came here to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we've, we've gathered today around your word as a community of faith, and this is what our prayer is. 
Today, will you, will you deposit faith in this house? Will you strengthen our faith? Will you grow our faith? Because we want to be a people of faith. God, when you come back, you said you're going to be looking. Can you find faith on the earth? God, I just pray that in Antioch, God, that you would find incredible faith in this community, God. And so today, will you, just, will you strengthen us today? If there's someone here that maybe their faith is struggling, strengthen it, strengthen it today. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. Come on, why don't you clap your hands for the word of God. I, uh, do you have any risk takers in the house? You, you're, you're naturally, you like to take risks. Look, again, the person, the people of faith, the faith say, they're like, woo, woo. I mean, they're just feeling it. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm 35 now. I'll be 36 in September. And, uh, and when I was younger, I was a risk taker. I mean, I would do, I would do crazy things. I, I, I remember when I was, I was probably, I don't know, maybe 13 years old, I, I had a friend dare me to jump off of a three-story house onto a trampoline into uh, a pool, and I did it. I, I would do crazy things like that. Um, when I was younger, I, I would do just about anything. I, I was a risk taker. Now, as I'm getting older, uh, my kids tell me I'm boring. I just say, no, I'm domesticated. I'm domesticated. <laughs> But as I'm getting older, I find that I, I, if I do take risks, they're very, very calculated risks. I, I don't like to take a lot of risks. I'm not very, I don't do dangerous things anymore. I mean, the dangerous, the most dangerous thing I've probably done lately is these jeans right here with the holes in the knees, you know. So it's like, I, I, don't, I don't take risks. I mean, I wear glasses, you know. I, I, have, a, I have a life insurance policy. I... By the way, my wife leans over to me the other day, is at midnight, we're going to sleep, and, and, and I'm, I'm literally fading, and she says, hey, have you looked at your life insurance policy lately, like where it's at? I looked at her, and I said, woman, are you going to kill me in the middle of the night? Because you don't ask people about the life insurance when they're going to bed. That's crazy. But I have a life insurance policy. I have a disability policy. I, uh, I, I don't take a lot of risk anymore. The, the riskiest thing I've done in the last probably seven days was I continued texting when the flight attendant said to, to turn off your phone. <laughs> I just don't, I don't take a lot of risk. Um, I think that the, in, in the natural, when we're young as kids, we, we, we do crazy things. We'll jump off of things. We'll, we'll, we'll do things that just are logically, they make no sense at all as a kid. But as you get older, um, you, you begin to really think through um, the ramifications of the decisions that you make. And you, you begin to accumulate more things in your life, and you just begin to see that the stakes are now higher. And I, I just can't just make any knee-jerk decision about things. And so as we get older, we naturally start to really think through, at least as mature individuals, we begin to think through the decisions that we make. And so that's a fine thing. But what I've discovered, that, that the same principle actually happens uh, in our spiritual life, is that when we're younger in the faith, when we first give our life to Jesus, when faith is first deposited into our heart, and we have been awakened by the grace of God, we're just excited that Jesus has saved us, we're no longer going to hell, man, we, 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 our life is now being fulfilled, we're knowing God, we're finding him freedom, we're discovering our purpose, now we're leveraging our life to make a difference, and we're just on fire for God, we will do whatever he asks us to do when you're young in the faith. Yeah, you'll tell anybody about Jesus because you, you just got awakened by the grace of God. You'll tell your, your friends, you'll tell your family members, you'll tell a stranger, you'll pray for people for healing. You just got big faith. But what I've discovered is it is so easy to become domesticated in our faith as we get older. You would think that the older you get, the closer you get to Jesus, the, the greater risk you would take and, and the more faith you would have to believe God for big things. But just the converse 
actually happens. We can drift into domestication in the area of our faith. We can become tame. But may I submit to you that the greatest risk you'll ever take is actually not risking. Because in, in playing it safe, you run the risk of dying and having never truly lived. You see, God did not send his son Jesus to live 33 years for us and then to, to die a criminal's death on the cross, be buried for three days, and be raised again. He, he did not send Jesus to do all of that for us, to domesticate us, but to set us free, not just from something, but for something, which is to live a life of faith to make a difference for the glory of God advancing his kingdom. That is the life that he's called us to. That is the life of faith. And I love this particular text because it has been such an encouragement to my wife and I. Because it's a beautiful story about two men with the odds stacked against them. It's a story of God, really, with the odds stacked against him. And yet a miracle happens, and it all hinges on two young men's faith. Here's, here's the story. We'll unpack it for just a few moments. Jonathan uh, and his young armor bearer in the previous chapter, chapter 13, gives us a beautiful backdrop uh, for chapter 14. It says, this, it says this in chapter 13, that there was only two swords, two swords in the, 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 the Hebrew military. Uh, Jonathan had one sword, and his dad, King Saul, had one sword. The rest of the men, they had farming utensils. This was like, literally, like shovels and rakes and, 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 and things like that. It, it was like a, a military of rednecks. I mean, it, it was like, they, they, I'm from Louisiana, from the south, so I know a lot about rednecks. I'm, I'm naturally a redneck. Deep down inside of me, there's a redneck somewhere. That's denim shirt. That's the best I could do today. <laughs> Boots. But it, it, it's about 2,000 men. In, in the Hebrew military, two swords, the rest farming utensils. Um, in chapter 13, Jonathan goes with just his armor bearer over, and they pick a little fight with uh, the Philistines, their enemy. These are, these are so many people in the Philistine military that they outnumber the sand on the seashore. They're highly trained, highly equipped, highly resourced. This is an incredible, incredible force of power, this military. Well, Jonathan comes over here. He picks a fight with them, beats up a bunch of guys, stirs up a hornet's nest with these guys. He comes back over here, and then when he's hanging out with the 2,000 men, the Bible says that the Philistines, they begin to rally all of their troops, and they said, finally, we're going to take out the people of God. We're done with the people of God. We're going to take them out. They begin to rally their troops, and they start marching towards them. And in chapter 14, the Bible says that fear, fear hits this Hebrew military, the people of God. And, and, and then check, out, check this out. I think it was 1,400 of them. They turn into cowards. And fear grips their heart, and they run into the hills, and they begin to hide. They abandon their, their military. They abandon their men. They go into hiding. That's what fear will do to you. Fear will grip your heart and make you a coward, and you'll never do anything great for God. Fear hits their heart, and now the military is shrunk down to, to two swords, the king and the, and the prince, and 600 men. And what does the king do? The leader of the people of God, the Bible says that the king, Saul, he goes underneath the pomegranate tree in Migron, with his sword, surrounds himself with his 600 men, and he begins to sleep. He's snoozing in safety while the enemy is coming in like a flood. He's an older man at this point. He's already seen many incredible feats of faith with God. He has seen God's miraculous hand many times, and even though he's seen the faithfulness of God, what does he do? I'm just going to go and sleep this one out and hope it goes away. Hope the problem just disappears. And he's sleeping over here in comfort and at ease. While the enemy is marching towards him to kill him, he's just doing nothing. 
What a picture of how we can become in our faith as we get older. And then you contrast it with this other young man. His son, Jonathan, he's over here, and he's, he's laying down. And go with me with your exegetical imagination as we unpack this text. But Jonathan is sitting here. He's laying here, and he's got his sword. He's gripping this sword, but he cannot sleep. He's laying right next to his armor bearer. His armor bearer is over here just snoring loud. He's just laying here, and Jonathan, he's thinking, there's no way I'm going to be able to just do nothing. The, the thought of the enemy is coming at us and is going to kill us. I mean, I can hear men at the top of this ridge, on top of this mountain up here. I can hear the Philistines up there talking about how they're going to kill us. And Jonathan's laying here, and he's thinking, this could be different, and this should be different, and I'm going to do something about it. And he gets up, wakes up his friend, because you can't go and you, gotta, you can't do this faith thing alone. I love the fact that you guys are going into this new season of small groups. If you're not leading a small group, go through the growth track. You need to be leading a small group. If you're not in a small group, you need to get in a small group because you cannot do this faith journey alone. That was a shameless plug right there. That was good. John says to his armor bearer, he says, hey, my man, wake up right now and grab your rake. They sneak off. Don't tell, don't tell dad. Don't tell any of the 600 men. Just two guys. Two young men armed with one sword and a rake, but a little bit of faith. They begin to sneak off, and Jonathan, I just imagine this. Jonathan, he looks at his armor bearer, and his armor bearer is like still trying to wake up, wiping the little eye boogers out of his eyes, and he's just yawning, got smelly breath, ate bad hummus the night before. I mean, he's just rough. And Jonathan looks at him, and Jonathan says, hey, listen, I had this idea. There's 20 men, uncircumcised Philistines, our enemy. They're right on top of this ridge. There's 20 of them. I just had this idea. What if, what if we just begin to climb up this ridge and we go up there and, and, they, and we show ourselves to them and they, they call us up there and we just start, we just, start just taking people out. We start, we start killing people. Listen, I know we're in California. I'm not propagating like weapons or anything like that. I know we only have mace here. Uh, just go with me. This is, this is, I'm not propagating violence. I'm propagating faith. Jonathan looks up here, and he says, hey, listen, if they call us up, we'll go up there and kill them. If they don't, they say, we'll come down here, then we're going to kill people today. Okay, it's going to be a good day. Um, And Jonathan looks at him and says, we're going to climb up, and we're just going to take out these 20 men. We're going to take them out. And then he says this, and I'm just believing that perhaps the Lord will show up. I I don't know. I I, I don't know if he's going to show up. But perhaps he will. Now, in this moment, if I'm this young armor bearer, I'm going to look back at Jonathan and say, man, uh, let me just make, let me get this clear. You have, you, you, did you hear a prophetic word from the Lord that we are going to for sure get victory here? <laughs> like, were you in church at fellowship last weekend and you got a word from the Lord, like a burning bush moment, like, and you know we're going to win? And Jonathan's like, no, man, I'm just thinking perhaps the Lord is going to show up. And, and if I'm the armor bearer, I'm thinking, but Jonathan, um, I noticed that you have a sword and I have a rake. <laughs> hey, what am I going to do with a rake? I, I'm Jonathan, if I'm Jonathan, I'm going to be like, I just figure I'm going to cut some people and you're just going to rake them up in a pile. <laughs> Make a little pile of people, Philistine people. <clears throat> and in this moment, Jonathan, he says something to his armor bearer. He says, listen, perhaps the Lord will show up. And he said, here's what I know, that God can save, whether or not if he has many or a few. 
And when he makes that statement, that declaration, that's a faith statement. You know what he's saying? He's like, God doesn't need a bunch of resources to do what he wants to do. God doesn't need a bunch of people to do what he wants to do. All God needs is himself because God is self-sufficient. And though we may have the odds stacked against us, though we may be outnumbered, out-resourced, outmanned, everything, all of the odds may be stacked against us, but we have God. God operates the best when the odds are stacked against him. And when he makes his statement... The armor bearer says to him, do all that you have in mind, Jonathan, for I am with you, heart and soul. You know what he's saying? He's like, that's faith I can follow. I wonder, do you have faith that other people can follow? Husband, I wonder, do you have faith that your wife can follow? Parents, do you have faith that your kids can follow? Coworker, business owner, do you have faith? that your friends, she got blessed, can follow. I want to have faith that other people say, I can follow that. Heart and soul, I am with you. I am with you. You don't have all the answers. You, you, you haven't figured it all out. But at least you have faith that God can show up. So I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Write this down. Here's the first point for you. I'm going to give you a few points because I know some people like to write things down. Write this down. Your faith affects your friends. And your friends affect your faith. Your faith affects your friends, and your friends affect your faith. Uh, last November, I was uh, at a leadership conference. Went to go uh, hear a good friend of mine, Pastor John Gray, um, preach. And um, I mean, this, so this is in November, not too long ago. And I'm at this service, and I'm sitting on uh, the probably fourth, fifth, sixth row, and we're waiting for the countdown clock and for the worship to begin, and all these pastors start coming in. And I had a friend of mine that he came in uh, to the service, and right before it starts, he sat right beside me, and he said, he said, Jason, we haven't seen each other in a while. Tell me the latest. What's going on? And so I began to tell him, well, we, we're, we're going to plant a church. We're going to go plant a life-giving church to reach people. And he said, man, that's amazing. I know you've talked about that for a while. And then he said this. He said, so where are you guys planting at? I said, we're planning in, uh, in, in San Francisco, in the city of San Francisco. And, and I'm not kidding. He goes, oh, no, don't do it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Jason. Put his hand on my shoulder. Oh, Jason. Oh, dear God. Oh, it's hard ground. This is a dark city. They hate God. Don't go. Don't go. Hostile. Enemy territory. Don't go. It's bad. It's bad. I'm telling you, he was so negative. This is a friend of mine. I'm thinking, with friends like this, who needs enemies? This is negative, critical, just as I, I, I literally, my faith just went. I slid down. His faith was affecting me. The lack of faith was affecting me. His negativity, his I just slid in my chair. Countdown started. Worship began. I could not even worship. Everyone's worshiping, and I'm sitting there, and my faith is depleted. It's languishing. And I just began to pray, and I said, God, I, I'm, I'm struggling here. And I, I said, God, I, I, like, have you really called us to do this? If, if even other pastors can maybe not even believe, like, have you called? And then I, then I prayed a prayer of faith. I said, God, if you've really called us here, I need a sign. <laughs> God's like, okay, you've already sold your house. Or put your house up for sale. You've already quit your job. You've already went public with this everywhere. It's a little late, buddy. It's a little late. I'm like Gideon, throwing fleeces everywhere. You know, like, God, tell me something. 
So I, literally, I said this. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to say this. But I, even pastors struggle with their faith sometimes. It's a reality. Take off the mask. We're human. <laughs> and I said, God, I, I just, I'm struggling, and I really do need some encouragement. And I just pray. God, if you're big, and you, if you can help me plant a church in San Francisco, then this is going to be easy for you. I pray that John Gray will give me a prophetic word in the middle of his sermon. I just said, I just did it. I just threw it out there. Hail Mary. Woo! <laughs> Come on, God. Show up. Perhaps the Lord. I'm sitting there in my discouragement, sitting in discouragement, 10 minutes in, and John Gray goes, I thought I saw Jason Laird in here. Where, Jason? He's like, you still planting a church? And I was like, yes. <laughs> I am planting that church. Bless God. He goes, you still going to San Francisco, right? Aren't you going to San Francisco? And I was like, yes. I am. The guy next to me is like, you know. John said, Jason, you could have gone back to Louisiana where you're from. you got a great network there, and your network is your net worth. And you could have gone back there, and you know people, and you got relationships, and you could have planted a big church really fast. You could have gone so fast, so far. It would have been amazing. You could have stayed in Dallas because we all know because I lived in Dallas. He said, you could have stayed in Dallas, and you don't even have to be anointed to plant a church in Dallas because people just go to church in the Bible Belt. Like, you don't even. <laughs> he said, that would have been so much more logical and reasonable. That makes so much sense, the resources and the relationships there. Like, you would be set up for something, for success. He's like, but God didn't call you there, did he? God called you to San Francisco. It doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how broken it is. God has called you to plant a life-giving church in that city. I'm telling you, I, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I just start, my faith started getting built up. I, I wanted to punch that guy sitting next to me. Just, wow. Jesus' name, five-fold ministry, one, two, three, four, five, ba, ba. Listen, your faith affects your friends, and your friends affect your faith. Some of you right now, I pray by the Holy Spirit that he reveals some of those friends that have been in your life, they've been faithful, but they haven't been faith-filled. They've been faithfully negative, faithfully critical, faithfully cynical, and they've been detouring you and derailing you from the plan of God for your life. And so I pray by the Holy Spirit that you would surround yourself with some faith-filled people. Can somebody say Amen. Your faith affects your friends, and your friends affect your faith. I got to hurry. And so Jonathan looks at his armor bearer. He says, perhaps the Lord's going to show up. I don't know. I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm just going to go with faith and say, perhaps the Lord. And they begin to step up and step out, climb up this ridge. Write this down. Faith is a decision. It's not an emotion. Faith is a decision. It's not an emotion. Um, I, I, I can only imagine that they were having all sorts of emotions and feelings, knowing that, that, that there's so much uncertainty in front of them. Uh, the fear of death probably was something that, that came at them, that they could potentially die, the fear of uncertainty. <clears throat> but faith is not, it's not an emotion. It's not something we feel. There's sometimes we don't feel, feel faith-filled, and we still have to make a decision to follow God in faith. Could you imagine if you only stayed married when you feel like it? I mean, I always feel like it. In case my wife's watching, I always feel like I should be married, just to be clear. <clears throat> but imagine if you only went to work when you feel like it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, in this moment, it, it wasn't about what they were feeling. It was about making a decision. You know what? We're going we're gonna to trust God and believe God, and we're going to step over our feelings 
We're going to step out in faith. Sometimes if you're going to step out in faith, you have to step over fear to do it. What kind of fear do we, do we feel sometimes? I don't know what they were feeling. We have no indication from the text that they feel it, but I can only imagine that they probably felt some fear because anytime you really, really, really step out in faith, the enemy will always come at you with fear. Fear of the uncertain, fear of failure, fear of just looking like a fool in the eyes of other people. But it's all right. Listen, if you're going to build God's reputation, you've got to be willing to risk yours. I, come on, that was a golf clap. That sound like y'all from Southern California. Come on, we Northern California. Hey, Benjamin Franklin said it like this. He said, only those that dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Fear of failure, fear, fear of the uncertain, all these different things. For me, I'll just tell you, for me, the greatest fear that I've I ever faced is fear of failure. I think as humans, we deal with that, especially in the, in the age that we live where it, we're all on social media, Facebook and Instagram and everything, and we're looking at everybody else's world and comparing our world to their world, and, 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 we, and we can fear, like, just failing, like we're not going to be successful. And a lot of times, we don't step out and do what God's called us to do because we're so crippled by the fear of failure. Maybe God's called you to write a book or to start a business or to go back to school, whatever it may be, and a lot of times, we just won't do it because we, we don't want to fail. What if we fail? And so that fear there, and really, you know, the fear is not the lack of achieving something, but it's the identity that is attached to failing. And that is that we don't want to be known as a failure in the eyes of other people, in the eyes of our wife or, or our husband or our kids. And so a lot of times, rather than just stepping out and just going for it, we would rather just play it safe and just say, you know what, I, I'd rather not fail. I, I'd rather succeed at, at not trying than fail at actually trying. But you know what? You can live your life safe and be successful at the things that you're not called to do. And, and at the end of your life, you'll have so much regret. And one of the things that I'm starting to discover is one of the greatest failures in life is succeeding at things you were never created to do. Sometimes you just got to step over that fear. For me, I have dealt with anxiety and fear about coming to San Francisco. It's, it's kind of expensive to live in San Francisco. Almost, you know, 900,000 people live in, that, in the city proper and less than 20,000 people go to church. It seems like the odds are stacked against us. And so at times I felt the fear of failure. But if you're going to step out in faith, you'll have to step over fear to do it. And what I'm also discovering is it, probably the area that you fear the most is the area you trust God the least. And so when the enemy comes at you with fear, you just got to make a decision. I don't, it's not about my feelings. It's not about my emotions. I'm going to follow God in faith and believe that perhaps the Lord will show up. What are you doing? Here's my question. What are you doing right now? What are you believing God for right now in your life that if God doesn't show up, you're going to look like a fool? That's a great place to be. It's scary, but it's exciting. And it's in that space, in that place, that God does his greatest works. When we step out in faith. You may feel fear, but you don't have to follow it. You may feel anxiety or stress about something, you don't have to follow it. What is it that God is calling you to believe him for and trust him for? If you're going to step out in faith, you have to step over fear and do it because faith is a decision. It's not an emotion. They begin to climb up this ridge, and as they climb up there, the Bible says they take the top of the ridge. Jonathan Wills, he pulls out that sword. Homeboy pulls out his rake. <laughs> Jonathan starts just taking out 20 men. He, he t in his own strength, with, with limited resources, outnumbered, they take out 20 men, and they take a half acre of ground. 
And at this point, we get no indication that God has even given them a directive. There's no directive from heaven. There's no prophetic word. There's no, I'm, I'm going to be with you every step of the way and going to give you some supernatural thing. None of that. They're still operating on a perhaps a Lord. Like, limited resources, outnumbered, but they have faith. That because God can, maybe he will. And they take, out a half, they take a half acre ground, take out 20 men, and the Bible says on the other side of their, of their application of their faith, stepping out, believing and trusting, then God shows up. And here's the point I want to make to you right here. This is, a, this is a good one. Write this down. This is from Wendell Smith back in the day. This is old school. He says this. He says, faith honors God and God honors faith. God honors these two young men's faith. And, and, and all of a sudden, they take a half acre of ground, kill 20 men, and then God shows up in the form of an earthquake. Now, I want you to imagine how this went. I, I don't really know exactly how it went, but I just imagine they step out in faith. They take all these men, and up in heaven, I just imagine a worship service is going. They're probably singing oceans, you know. <laughs> They're up there just worshiping. Angels are everywhere. And then all of a sudden, one of these angels looks down and sees Jonathan and this armor bearer taking out these men. And I imagine him like, oh, my goodness, look at these, look at these guys. This is crazy. That's foolish. There's 20 against 2. Does he have a rake? That is incredible. Look at that boy's bad with a rake, though. <laughs> and they just, you know, and I imagine this angel's like, it's just interrupting the worship service in heaven. He's like grabbing the other angels, like, look at this, look at this, look at this. They're all checking it out, and all of a sudden, it, it disrupts heaven. Your faith, don't you want faith that would disrupt heaven? And, and it just interrupts this moment, and, and, and I just imagine God looking down like, what is going on? He's like, who told them to do this? I didn't tell them to do this. Which one of you angels told Gabriel, was this you? You did this? You always starting stuff. And I imagine God just looking down thinking, I didn't tell them to do it. I, 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 didn't, I didn't orchestrate this. This looks like one of those things that it says that you're, those, those things, that, those deeds and those actions and those works motivated and prompted by faith. This looks like one of those things that they just did on their own, just believing that, that I can show up. And that's amazing. Wow. Like that they did all that without me, believing that I'm going to show up, I got to be a part of this. Wow. Like they just think that I may show up I got to be a part of this because this is history. And God starts an earthquake. I don't know how he did it. It was like, I don't know. <laughs> the Bible says an earthquake starts and all of the enemy turn on themselves. The rest of the men, Philistines, start killing each other. And watch this. All the cowards in the Hebrew military, they wake up, 1,400 of them. On the other side of your faith is someone else's awakening. They wake up. They join in on the fight. And the Bible says in verse 23, read it when you get a chance. On that day, the Lord, Yahweh, saved all of Israel on that day because faith honors God and God honors faith. Let me close with this last thing. This message had only three points um, and a friend of mine gave me a fourth point. Just for the record, preachers, when they preach after they finish, they don't usually like someone come to them and be like, hey, that was good, but let me give you an extra point. It's never good, but this, was, this one was a good one. A friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer two years ago and uh, and it was, it, was, it, was, it was out of nowhere. Renal cancer had a tumor the size of a football on his, on his right kidney. And some of the cancer was growing into one of the valves of his heart. And so he had to have immediate surgery after he found out. 
they removed his kidney, and they were able to get all the cancer out and uh, start him on treatment, and, uh, and, and he was cancer-free. And after about a year, you know, he went back for his checkup, and they said that the cancer had spread to his, uh, to his lungs. And, um, and then even a little bit of time later, we just kept believing God and praying the prayer of faith. Because the Bible says you pray the prayer of faith, and God will heal the sick. And uh, so we kept praying the prayer of faith, and it's just it's spread now to his liver. And, um, and the doctors have given him no hope. And the doctors have said, his name's Steve. They said, Steve, um, the outcome looks like you may have a year to two at best, so you need to really just enjoy life. And um, we'll, we'll continue to try treatments, but the outcome is pretty, pretty imminent. And Steve sat in the car with me after we were talking about this sermon because I preached this somewhere in L.A., and he was telling me how much it encouraged him to build his faith up. But he said, I want to give you a fourth point. He said, Jason, because I'm, I'm starting to discover something, that as a community of faith, a lot of times we try to attach the outcome to our faith. That is that if we believe something and we pray about something, that now we're just waiting, and if God doesn't show up, then we, we get mad at him. Or we get disappointed or disillusioned. And he said, Jason, he goes, a lot of people leave the church or walk away from God because the outcome doesn't match the prayers they've been praying. And he said, and this is great. You need to write this down and let this, you need to go back to this and let the Holy Spirit work this in your heart. And I think this is for someone today. He said this, he said, Jason, he said, faith is not about an outcome. It's about an outlook. He said, the doctors told me my outcome is I'm going to die. He goes, but I don't have to believe that. He said, I have to make a decision to have an outlook that because God can heal me, perhaps the Lord will heal me. That I just have to have, have an outlook of faith and believe that, yeah, they said I have cancer, and yeah, they say I'm going to die, and I'm facing the facts. But I just choose to believe that because God has healed people in the past, that he can heal me. That because God does have the power to deliver someone from sickness and a spirit of infirmity, that God can do that. And so, so outlook is on me, outcome is on God. Don't get it confused. Outlook is on me. Outcome is on God. Listen, I came here today to tell you this. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're facing. Maybe your marriage seems like the outcome is it's falling apart and you're going to get a divorce. Maybe it seems like you're never going to get the job you've been praying for. Maybe you're single and you've been praying and praying and just believing for companionship. I don't know what your situation is. Maybe it's a prodigal son or daughter and it just feels like the outcome, like they're never going to come around. Listen, make a decision today, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're facing. Listen, lift up your eyes and look to the hills from which come with your help. Listen, your help comes from the Lord. Choose to have an outlook of faith. Can somebody say amen? Come on, watch you stand up on your feet. I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray for just a couple of things. One is I want to and, and please, no one leave for a moment. I just want to take just a second. I'm out of time. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you today, if you say, Pastor Jason, listen, I, I don't, you're talking about faith. I have no faith at all. Like, I, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. Here's the good news. The Bible says that whoever, that's everybody in here, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they can be saved. They can be saved. The Bible says if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. So today, if you say, hey, I don't know Jesus, but I want to, and I want to become a follower, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm only going to ask you to do two things. One is raise your hand in just a moment, and no one's looking around. And then number two, we're all going to pray a prayer together. You don't, you don't have to say it out loud if you don't want to. You don't have to come down to the front. None of those things. 
But I just want to see if the Lord spoke to you. And today you say, I want to commit my life to Jesus. Raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Anybody in here you say, thank you. Got hands all in the back. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. What an amazing Sunday. That's great. Could we just pray this? And if you feel comfortable praying it out loud, I know that the other folks in here that have prayed this prayer before, that, that they feel comfortable praying out loud. And so you could pray with them. Can we say this? Just say, Jesus, I come to you today. I confess my sins to you. I ask you to forgive me. Give me a fresh start and a new beginning. Today I devote my life to you. I will follow you, heart and soul. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we clap our hands for people? You see, the interesting thing about that story in 1 Samuel 14 is that we're not to read it and be inspired by Jonathan and, be, and identify with Jonathan. You know why the armor bearer has no name? It's your name. And Jonathan is a prophetic picture of a, a greater prince that would one day come, the prince of peace named Jesus, that would climb another hill called Golgotha, Calvary's hill, armed not with a sword but with a cross. And he would secure his people's victory, not by taking life, but by laying down his life in our place. That's who Jesus is. And the question is, will we be like that armor bearer and follow him heart and soul wherever he leads us? My prayer for you is this, is disturb us, Lord, when we're too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little, when we arrive safely at our destination because we sailed too close to the shore, disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly and to venture on wider seas where, your storm, where storms will show your mastery. We're losing sight of the land. We shall find the stars. God, we ask you to push back the horizon of our hopes and to push us into the future in faith, courage, hope, and love. We ask this today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Come on, why don't you make, a, make some noise in this house. Love you guys so much. God bless you.